Well, I, for one, am glad to still be here. Though I see some have other feelings about it, because I have to go back to Spokane, Washington, which is a wonderful place, but it was threatening to snow all week before I came. And uh, I have to admit, I'm not in a hurry to get back to the coldness. This is wonderful down here. Too bad no one can really afford to retire down here. <laughs> anyway, um, what, a, what a beautiful morning, beautiful, beautiful day. Has Jesus been after you today? Has he been pursuing you? You know, he doesn't just pursue you because he wants another slave to whip him to submission for all eternity. He pursues you because he's crazy about you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I cannot preach, I cannot convict, I cannot bless, but you can do these things so mightily. Come in now and take over this time together. Use me, but speak also directly to each heart. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The uh, Gospel of John is unique in so many ways. One of the ways is that the last half of it is, uh, takes place in the last two weeks of Jesus' life. In fact, uh, uh, you know, from chapter 13 on, we're in, the, uh, we're in the last few days of Jesus' life. And so John is really, really focusing on what Jesus had to do, the terrible, terrible challenge that he had. When we look at the Last Supper, tremendous significance that final meeting had when Jesus is finally really clearly telling them what he's doing, what he's been doing. He wants to tell them even more clearly. He gets so frustrated you can almost feel the frustration. He says, well, you'll understand this pretty soon. <laughs> you'll understand this when I've, when I've been resurrected, when, I'm, when I've come back from the grave. They don't even know what he's talking about. But they, they, they did, of course, understand it after the resurrection and when they received the Holy Spirit. They did understand it. They came to understand what he had been doing, what he had been saying. But uh, those last uh, interviews with his disciples are so powerful. And John is, remembered so many details. I suppose the Holy Spirit had to revive his memory to remember so many details from those last interviews. In the 14th chapter of John, Jesus tells them not to feel bad that he's going away. Well, they still haven't even adjusted to the idea that he is going away. They're still in denial that he's going away. But he says, don't feel bad that I'm going away. I, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm not going to leave you permanently. I'm just going to prepare a place for you. Could I paraphrase that in a way that's also important? I'm going to prepare you for a place. Because, see, the place wasn't ready, and they weren't ready either. But we have a high priest, amen? Amen. And he is preparing us for a place, which I have a feeling is now completed. And I've been putting in design elements. Have you? Telling the Lord some of the things I want. Yeah, I want seven floors, and I want a... Now, this sounds very materialistic, doesn't it? But please, bear with me. I want a waterfall that kind of meanders down through the whole thing. Can you imagine that? Yeah? with little ponds on each level. Yeah. Anyway, another thing I want, because I know I'm going to have really tolerant, really tolerant neighbors in heaven. <laughs> I want a pipe organ that kind of, 
you know, has different parts of it on each floor of my seven floors. Sometimes I'm planning on making a really big noise. Praise the Lord. It's all going to be about praising the Lord. <laughs> anyway, we are talking, though, this weekend about doing the work of the Lord. Healing is the work of the Lord. Healing is the work of the Lord. Never forget it in two ways. A, don't forget it and think. It's my work. It's a work for power, prestige, influence. Don't forget it in that way. But B, don't forget it in this way. When the devil's discouraging you and saying you're not doing anything significant, you're not important in the scheme of God's, of God's scheme, you just remind the devil that healing is the Lord's work. And that is what you are involved in, so many of you. Thank God for you. But we want to do a greater work, don't we? We want to be more effective for the Lord. And so John 14, 12 says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. We were having a discussion just yesterday about these greater works and, and what do we mean by that and what part does uh, miraculous healing have in the health message and in the end time work and so forth and what was Jesus really talking about saying greater works than these did he simply mean greater in 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 scope in worldwide influence well whatever he means we want to we want to be used by him have you found that being used by the Lord is the happiest time of your life. Those times when God is really using you is when you are forgetting yourself and you're forgetting your reputation and you're forgetting your position and you're forgetting your comfort and you're forgetting your preferences and you're forgetting all about yourself and your, you know, your whole agenda has been forgotten and you're just doing something because Jesus is working through you. And you look upon, back upon that and you say, guess what? That was my happiest moment. That was the happiest time of my day. And thank God we get the opportunity to have that great happiness every day. So he lures us into his work after we've sampled it by giving us so much joy in it. And let me just say this. If there's not joy in God's work, it's because you're doing it, not him. Is that the truth? I've been there too. I've been there too. When it's just legalistic, I'm doing it because I'm supposed to, and, and then it's not joyful. But when God is doing it, it's so joyful. I just feel like a channel. I feel so clean. This powerful, living uh, water is flowing through me. Out of me is coming a fountain that feeds other people. I know it's just Jesus Christ. Amen? <laughs> what a beautiful thing that is. Anyway, he says, you'll do greater works because you believe in me. Well, approximately, uh, you know, two billion people believe in Jesus in this world. This must be something more than just a nominal belief. He goes on to say, whatever you ask in my name, I will do. And again, we tack Jesus' name onto all kinds of things, and they don't happen. You know, I prayed in Jesus' name that I wouldn't owe much tax. Then the bill came. So, you know, I think that, there, that he, obviously, we can see that he's talking here about in his name being uh, in his mind. Are you with me? You see what I'm saying? 
When you ask anything in my mind, in harmony with my thinking, in harmony with my character, in harmony with my will, I will give it to you. In fact, he's begging us to ask things in harmony with his mind and his will. In fact, there are a lot of things that he would do because they are perfectly in harmony with his will and he can't do until we ask him. Is that the truth? You know it is. You know it is. And so we need to inquire about the will of God a lot more frequently and make sure we pray about those things instead of just assuming God will take care of the things he's interested in and then we have to let him know about the things we're interested in. That is totally fallacious. God will take care of the things he's interested in if we ask him to. And he'll even give us some of the things we're interested in Sometimes even if they're not for the best, and that's because he is a little bit indulgent. Have you found him to be so? God is amazing. Well, it says he wants to do this so he can be glorified in the Son. And again, and again, he says, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Then he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now, I didn't like John 14 for a long time because it says that several times in some way or another. And I was reading it completely backwards. If you say that you love me, then prove it by keeping my commandments. How many of you have ever had that kind of theology? Yeah? Okay, we have ten honest people in the room. You know we all started out that way. The law was a schoolmaster, wasn't it? Leading us to Christ. We all started out that way, thinking I have to obey so I can prove I love Jesus. It is utterly not what this is about. He is simply telling us this is the test. This is the way that you can determine the amount of your love for me. If you enjoy keeping my commandments, if my commandments are your pleasure, then you know you're in love with me. And my wife tells me that sometimes. <laughs> well, good news is my wife is not God. But I want to be married to God, don't you? And I want his pleasure to be my pleasure. And see, the more in love we are with him, the more that's the case, is it not? So the real way of reading this is, you will know that you've fallen in love with me when you are enjoying my commandments. Ah. So he keeps repeating that test. Just That's just an objective test. Because there are people all over the place who say, I love Jesus. Oh, I love Jesus. I love Jesus too. In fact, I don't even think you need to keep the commandments. All you need to do is love Jesus. <laughs> they have no concept of what loving Jesus is. No concept. I will say this to you, and I'll prove it in a minute. Jesus is not saving you so that you can be his servant. He's not interested in servants. He didn't make commandments so that people would have to obey them. He's not interested in obedience. Ah, I know, that sounds strange to us Adventist ears. But we'll prove it in a minute. Well, he, he's just told them he's leaving, of course, and this is just terrible to them. Just terrible to them. I mean, literally, they've followed him through thick and thin. They've seen him as the power, the joy, the influence. They've given up everything for him. They've left their families, their children, their homes, their businesses, and they've followed him, and it's been the best three years of their lives, and they're just thrilled, and they want to follow him you know, on and on and on into the kingdom, which they're just certain is coming. And then he says, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. I've never heard sadder words in my life. Has anybody ever told you I'm leaving? Did it break your heart? It's a terrible thing to hear. No wonder their hearts are broken. And those are just on human level. Your heart can just be broken when somebody says, I'm leaving. Jesus says, I'm leaving. 
Then he says, I will pray the Father. He will give you another helper. Yeah, but so what? I don't want another helper. I want you. You're going to send me somebody else, some substitute for you, Jesus? Who possibly can stand up with you? Who, who possibly can charm our hearts and give us something to live for and put meaning in our lives like you do? Who possibly can, can, can give us a, a sense of, a, of, of, our, of our worth and of our value by using us as, as you have used you as, as companions in, in your labors? What else can give us any, any of the joy and the, and the absolute peace that we've had with you? There's no substitute for you, Jesus. But he goes on, I'm saying Let's send somebody else. Let's send somebody else. He's called the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot receive him. It doesn't see him. It doesn't know him. But you know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. <laughs> Do you see what he's saying? The Spirit of Truth is my spirit. In Galatians, he's called the Spirit of God's dear Son. Are you with me? He's been with you. I've been with you three years. The Spirit of truth has been with you now for three years. He's been living with you. And pretty soon, he's going to be inside of you. My Spirit. I. I've been with you, and now pretty soon, I am going to be inside of you. Well, they've really been enjoying having him with them. They watch him. They listen to him. They think about him. They see how he does every single thing. They're charmed by it. They see that he is utter righteousness, utter unselfishness, utter love, and that he's never uh, angry, even with the people who are persecuting him. And, and they're just astonished at him, and they just want to be like him. And he says, you've been with me, but now... I'm going to be inside of you. On one level, that's kind of creepy. Who would really welcome the invasion of an alien mind? Who really wants to be possessed by an alien intelligence? I think he had to spend three years with them in person so that they could realize that was something they actually wanted. I've heard of lovers who are so crazy about each other that they actually say, I wish I could just crawl inside of you. Well, if mere human passion can get to that level, think where the Spirit can take us. What's amazing is that God has wanted to crawl inside of us forever since before he even created us, it was his plan. He has wanted to extend his own mind through the observant eyes and minds of millions of other creatures who can see creation and relationships and others for themselves in a way that he can totally share. It must be voluntary because God respects the privacy of the individuals that he has created. And so if we're not to have any privacy, it must be voluntary. I give up my privacy to you. 
You say, well, he can read my mind anyway. Well, that may be true, but I am quite convinced he does not invade our minds without our permission. And so we were made to be the eyes and ears and feet and tongues of Jesus forever. We were never made to be independent. Independence is a sin. We can never be happy as long as we are independent. And Satan's gospel is exactly the opposite. You can never be happy until you're independent. And so Jesus is saying here, I've been living with you, and I think we love each other. Don't we love each other? I think we really do. I know I'm crazy about you, and I sense you have the same feeling for me. I was all but Judas. And after this, I'm going to live inside of you. It gives me goosebumps to say that. You know what? I want that. That's my destiny. That's what I was made for. I want it. I don't want Satan to steal that from me, do you? No way. See, for so many years, I thought the filling of the Holy Spirit was the filling of some kind of a power, some kind of a divine influence, some kind of a, you know, majestic, uh, you know, all-consuming flame, some, something that just kind of took you over. I didn't know it was Jesus. Well, Pastor, you haven't proven that yet. Let's see a little more then. He will be in you, verse 16, uh, verse 18, the very next word, I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. So of course when he was saying you'd be filled with this new helper, you'll be filled with me. You won't be orphans because I will still be with you. In fact, a little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Where? How do I see him? I see him inside, don't I? I see him with the inner eye. I hear him with the inner ear. Don't you? Did you see him this morning? I did. It was very distinct. Very distinct. He says, in that day, listen, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. There it is. So the filling of the Holy Spirit that we have so longed for is the filling of Jesus Christ. It's no wonder they follow the Lamb wherever He goes. He's in them. He's going in them. It's not an impersonal power that comes over us and makes us do all kinds of things we never wanted to do before. <laughs> That's why Seventh-day Adventists haven't received a lot of rain yet, you know. It's because they dread it. Oh, the Spirit's going to come on me. He's going to make me behave like one of those crazies standing out on the street corner warning people about the fall of Babylon. Friends, the Spirit brings Jesus into us. He's still a man, and so the only way he can get around and be omnipresent is through the agency of the Holy Spirit. But thank God, through the agency of the Holy Spirit, he is still omnipresent. And he's especially present in those who invite him because he comes in in the fullness. That is why it is not two separate prayers when you say, Jesus, come in, and Spirit, 
fill me. It's only one prayer. And I believe that part of the answer to our receiving the latter rain and all the, all the blessings that are going to happen, by the way, the latter rain, you know, is going to involve medical missionary work to a great extent. So doctors and other medical practitioners are going to receive the Holy Spirit, which means they're going to receive Jesus in just overwhelming abundance. Isn't that encouraging? This is a prophecy. This is not just something that I'm exhorting you, you know. I don't have to exhort you. This is going to happen. And I can see that you folks want to be part of it, how great that is. I am in my Father, and you're in me, and I'm in you. How beautiful. How beautiful. So the Holy Spirit is Jesus. It's the life of Jesus. It's the heart of Jesus. The Holy Spirit brings us the thinking of Jesus, the attitude of Jesus. The Holy Spirit, Spirit brings us the death of Jesus. The death of the flesh that was experienced in Jesus. The Spirit brings us the resurrection of Jesus. When we have the Holy Spirit, we have life because we have the resurrection living in ourselves. You see it? Isn't he the resurrection? Isn't that what he said? I am the resurrection? Verse 25, these things I have spoken to you while I'm present with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. So you see, the Holy Spirit doesn't even speak for himself. <laughs> he just speaks what Jesus has said and would say to us. He just, the Holy Spirit is a personality. I, the Bible makes that clear, but what a retiring personality. What a shy personality. What a cautious personality. What a, what a, what a backward, <laughs> almost. He, he won't even let us see his form, and he, and, he, and he will not speak for himself. He only speaks what Jesus says and what Jesus thinks. He literally, totally subsumes his own interest under that of Christ and of the, of the Father. And, and, uh, and then we get filled up with him and with the very heart and character of Jesus. Uh, I would say that we would be extremely humble in that circumstance, wouldn't you? Filled with such a humble person. Filled with two such humble persons. Filled ultimately with all three such humble persons. There becomes no room for anything but what Paul says, regard each other better than yourself. There's no room for anything but that. People say, why is it so hard to be a Christian? Let me tell you why it's so hard to be a Christian. It's hard to be a Christian because it's hard to hold on to the Holy Spirit. And you want to know why it's so hard to hold on to the Holy Spirit? Because he absolutely will not stay unless he knows he's wanted. So the hard thing about being a Christian is reminding yourself and the Holy Spirit that you want him very frequently. Because every time we forget to tell him how badly we want him, he's out. Now, thank God he's not out very far. Do you know how far away Jesus ever gets from any of us? The other side of a door. How do I know that? 
Because he says, I stand at the door and knock, right? And if any man hears my voice, what? I'm in! You know what I'm saying is true. I'm not saying you're out of grace. I'm not saying you lost the influence of the Holy Spirit. I'm not some radical. He can be very close to you, even still using you. But there's a difference between having Jesus live in you and not. And those of you who've been practicing Christianity for a while know I'm telling the truth. Because when Jesus is living in you through the Holy Spirit, you are joyful, you are empowered, you like his commandments. I'm not saying there's no growth in this experience. There is growth. There's more of Jesus or less of Jesus, too. That's true, too. We grow and grow and grow up into the fullness of the stature of Christ, don't we? But you know the difference. You know the difference. You know the difference in heart, the difference in attitude. You know when the flesh is feeling passionate and exalted, and you know when it's not, when it's down and the spirit is up. You know. You know the difference. What a glorious thing it is to invite Jesus to live in us. This other helper will talk whatever, will, tell, will teach you all the things that I've taught you. He'll bring to your remembrance everything that I said to you. And then he gives us the great identifier of when the Holy Spirit has filled us. Peace I leave with you. By far the greatest way to find out whether the Spirit is in, whether Jesus is in or not, is to evaluate your own peace level. I'm not talking about lethargy. I'm not talking about stupor. I'm not talking about alcohol. That's not Jesus' peace. When Jesus gives us peace, it calms both the excess excitement of the flesh and the fear and anxiety of the flesh. It is so glorious. But that only comes when we say, yes, come in, come in and take over. And then a glorious peace settles over us. And ultimately, because sometimes, you know, young Christians miss the excitement of the flesh. But ultimately, we find the peace to be better than the excitement. And it's always better than the anxiety. I actually do find some people, have you found this? Some people are addicted to anxiety. Have you found that? I actually know people who actually seem to stir up and create anxiety for themselves and other people. Almost as if it's, I don't know, if it's probably demon possession. But anyway, you know, there's a lot more demon possession than you think, folks. And, 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 but this, this anxiety, the Lord gives us this glorious peace which just really is calm in the face of everything. It's astonishing how it is. It's calm. Anyway, that's, that's uh, such a precious, precious lesson about the Holy Spirit. I, I love the fact that it's Jesus. Once I realized that, I stopped being afraid of the latter rain. Because I, I have to admit, I was afraid of the latter rain. I don't know if I want to be possessed that much. <laughs> you know, I kind of like myself. My wife says, I'm not sure why. She says, I like you a lot better when the Holy Spirit's in charge. Okay, okay, you're right, you're right. And I am a much better person than that, in that condition. Our, our spouses know us far too well, don't they? Anyway, I am much, much, much nicer to be with. I know that. So, 
this is great, you know, but, but we are afraid. We are afraid. I am convinced that Adventists, we'd have a lot of rain already if we weren't afraid of it. See, you, you pray for what you want, and you get what you pray for if it's in harmony with God's will. But we don't pray for it because we don't want it. We're afraid it's going to cause us to give up all of our property. So, don't you want to go to heaven? You're going to give up all your property anyway, right? You want to live till Jesus comes? The beast is going to take all your property away from you. We're afraid the Holy Spirit's going to take it. Oh, well, if I pray that, I might get radical. I might get too radical. You know, uh, the Holy Spirit, why, I don't know, you might take away something. You know, I don't I kind of like the position I'm in here. I have the respect of all my, all, all the people I'm with every day. He might make me do something that makes me look foolish or, or out, of, out of place. Uh, I, I might no longer be one of the guys, one of the girls, whatever it is. Yeah, I think, I think Seventh-day Adventists, I really believe that we're afraid of the Holy Spirit. And we need to start realizing that the Holy Spirit is Jesus, and we might be afraid of Him too. But let's fall in love with Jesus, shall we? And let's stop being afraid, and let's pray more. Jesus, give me more. Just more, more of you through the Spirit. More of you and more of you. Take away all my concern about consequences. More of you, Jesus. I know you're never going to make a person into a wild-eyed craze. You never are. You're going to give us rationality more than we've ever had before. Wasn't Jesus supremely rational? But at the same time, you are going to change all of our priorities. Totally rewrite our agenda. You know what, Jesus? I've been doing my own agenda all my life so far. It hasn't got me very well. It got me very far along. I, I, I want you. Come on, take over. Take over. Take over today. Take over tomorrow. Let this be my prayer until it's so much my feeling about it. So absolutely true that even the Holy Spirit is convinced that I mean it. And he takes over permanently. And that's called the seal of the Holy Ghost. Anybody want that? Well, Seventh-day Adventists, if we don't want it, who does, huh? And we're the only ones who even know about it. If we don't want it, who does? Some people say the Lord's going to sweep this church clear away and start with something new. I don't think so. He's planted the seeds of truth here. He spent a lot of effort doing it. God is going to use us in spite of us. <laughs> our resistance, our disbelief, he's going to sweep it away. He's going to use us. We should be saying hallelujah. In John chapter 15, Jesus says, abide in me. This is the whole answer. Stay in me and I in you. Let's keep connected. People always say that, you know. I meet people quite often through life, you know. People I've known for a long time, but it's been 10 years since we communicated. Oh, we have a nice little visit, and they say, hey, let's stay connected. I say, great, let's do it. They don't mean it, neither do I. This world is far too connected already. Who has time for all this connecting? You know what I mean? Oh, my goodness. I've got LinkedIn invitations every day. I've got Facebook invitations every day. I get texts that I can't even take time to read. I get emails. I, I get, I get, you are probably worse than me, but, but I get 60 or 70 emails a day. How on earth can I keep up with all this connectedness? I'll tell you something. You want peace? Connect with Jesus. Make one connection. Make one connection. And he will make all the other connections that he's in favor of work. Are you hearing me? 
He'll make all the others work. It is so fantastic how Jesus sorts out your life when you let him be the one connection. He sorts it out. Remember, that peace is all-inclusive that he gives. And he just prioritizes it, and he organizes your day, and he organizes your calendar. And folks, it is fantastic to make that one connection with Jesus and let him sort everything else out. It is just awesome. He says, abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. He just told us, remember, we started, you're going to do the works I'm doing. You're going to even do greater works than those. And how's that going to be done? Because you're the branch and I'm the vine. I'm the vine and you are the branches. And he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. By the way, abide in me and I in him is exactly, those are exact equivalents. I, 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 it just seems so weird. Jesus is in us. It's more easy for us to comprehend that for some reason. Jesus coming into me, this still small voice, this sweet spirit coming in and occupying part of my brain. But, but the, the truth is, he says it's exactly the same. At that very same moment, I'm crawling into him. That, for some reason, has been harder for me to conceive, but, but that's, that's what he's offering us. I'm, I'm crawling into him. He says, I'm not trying to invade you without giving you permission to invade me. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying I'm the overlord that comes down and takes over your brain. No, no, no. I'm opening my brain to you. You come in and enter into me too, okay? This is a totally shared intimacy. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. How soon? Oh, that's such basic information. Oh, I wish I'd understood that when I was 12. You know, you can commit yourself to the Lord and you can commit yourself to his work and you can do, 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 do. But anytime you're not connected, it adds up to nothing. That's so terrible to realize that. If you abide in me, verse 17, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it will be done for you. Do you see what that implies? That implies that when I'm abiding in Christ, now, again, folks, this is not an all-or-nothing proposition. I, I kind of wish it were, but it's not. <laughs> it's not like, you know, you're suddenly mature in this abiding experience. Start the abiding experience and grow in it, okay? It's not like you, you jump from perfect uh, understanding of God's will to from, from no understanding of God's will to perfect understanding of God's will. It's, it's not like that. But, but it's fabulous that as you abide in Him, more and more of your prayers are answered. And why is that? He says, let me, let me read the words again that he said. You ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. And why is that? Because my desires are His desires. Obviously, that's implied in that passage. So, what an awesome thing, folks. And really, let's talk about it now. Really. Part of our problem is that we still have some sin in us, and we still have some love for sin. We still have some desires that are opposed to his desires. So, this verse is telling us that our desires can be the same as his desires. So much so that whatever we ask for, we get. Now, that's what I need. Is that what you need? You know, my intellect, please don't think I'm bragging, my intellect has been mostly sanctified for a long time. What do I mean by that? I know the truth, intellectually, right? 
I agree with the truth intellectually. Intellectually, I think everything God wants from me is exactly right. And anything that I have that doesn't agree with God, intellectually, is I know it's, a, it's wrong and it's a mess and it's never going to do me any good. So intellectually, I'm sanctified. How about you? Is your thinking when you're being rational in harmony with God's thinking? Of course it is. You know when you're being selfish and you think that's stupid. I shouldn't be like that. I agree with God. He even mentions that, you know, in, 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 in Romans chapter 7. He says, you know, with your mind, you agree with God. So what is it that gets you in trouble? It's your desire, isn't it? In other words, it's your heart. It's the emotional component of your being. It's not the rational component. With my mind, I always obey God. But with my flesh, flesh is the word he uses for heart there in Romans 7. But this verse implies that as we abide in Christ, our desires become like his. Now, that's a Christianity I could embrace. How about you? How would you like to go to heaven and do everything that is right because it is right on an intellectual level alone, but for all eternity be wish, wishing that you could do a few other things? That would not be heaven. That would be misery. Through the indwelling of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit, our desires are changed. That is not too much to ask for. Lord, my desires are wrong. And if any of you have ever tried to change your own desires, you know that it is absolutely impossible. You can deny them. You can promise to change them. You can hate them and still have them. But through the indwelling of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit, your desires can be changed, can be made Jesus' desires. Awesome. Maybe we shouldn't say changed. Maybe we should just say replaced. I wonder at times whether Jesus actually changes anything in us. I think all he does is crucify some parts. <laughs> some parts get cauterized. Some parts get cut off. Thank God. Do it some more, Lord. Do it some more. It's a pain that feels so good. Do it some more. Keep it up. Kill, kill, kill. It's true. We're baptized into his death, aren't we? Because there are parts of us which just have to die. They can't be changed. Just die. But replaced. I'm not left with holes in my mind. Replaced with Jesus' desires. Amen? Replaced. So my personality ultimately is still unique, still precious, still a beautiful flower, still treasured by the Lord. I'm still a jewel in his eyes. But my personality ultimately becomes an amalgam of the personality of Christ and the personality of me. And that's what I want, isn't it? That's what I must have. The indwelling of the divine, the union of the human and the divine. Finally, in verse 9, he says, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. We've been talking about this abiding experience so far this morning almost as if it was a mechanical transaction, almost as if it was some kind of a propositional thing. You know what? It's a love affair. He says, I love you as much as my father loves me. What? 
but your father has had eons, millennia, centuries, eternity to love you. Your love relationship is the ground of all love in the universe. It was out of your love that all things were created, all creativity happened. Your love for each other is so sublime. Jesus was in touch with you constantly on this planet because he couldn't bear to be separated from your love for even a moment. Jesus was up early and up late talking with you. Jesus was constantly communing with you even when he was doing other things because your love has just consumed him. Why Jesus was, was so in love with you that finally he says, Father, please take me back. i got to be in the light of your smile again. And then Jesus says this incomprehensible thing. I love you that much. I can't. I have to think about that every day because that is the power that makes me want Jesus to live again. I can't comprehend it, but I need it. I need it. If it's just a transaction, if it's just a means to an end to have Jesus in me so I can bear fruit, so I can have power, whatever. No, 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 no. That's still not enough motivation, but that love is enough motivation. When I feel the warmth of that embrace, when I feel the heat of that smile, I know what I was made for. I'm wanted. I was made to be embraced for eternity by my maker. No wonder there's perfect peace. You know, friends, we have to personalize this. For so many years, I could preach about the love of God in a way that would bring the whole congregation to tears because I knew all about the love of God. But I did not know the love of God. We can know all about the love of God without knowing the love of God. When we know the love of God, we are experiencing the love of God. Not only is Jesus in me, but I am in him, wrapped up in him. The security is amazing. We're not going to base our eternal security on some cheap, charismatic, I'm saved you know, consciousness. No, 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 no. When you're in Jesus' arms and you know it, you know he's not going to let you go. Oh, yeah, I could wiggle out and run away if I decided to anytime. But who would want to? Who would want to do that? For so many years, I knew all about the love of Jesus. I even had people come out of my sermon sometimes and say, Pastor, that sermon has changed my life. Well, I wasn't sure I believed that. When they come back five years later and say, you remember that sermon you preached? I've never been the same since then. And I look up to heaven and say, God, what's wrong? It didn't do anything for me. Because practitioners of this glorious message, we can know all about the love of God and not experience the love of God. Don't be afraid of the filling of the Holy Spirit because the filling of the Holy Spirit is the filling of the love of God. And it is awesome.
you literally will know that just like Moses was lived for 40 days with nothing but that, you could live for eternity with nothing but that. The love of God. We don't have a conception of why God has called us. Sometimes we think He wants to restore in us the image that was lost in Eden. That's the only the smallest part of it. Remember, Adam and Eve were not his ideals. They were not fully formed creations. They were far. They were perfect as far as they went. A rock is perfect. God had so much more for them. They didn't love God. They could have never, ever, never, never listened to Satan for a moment if they'd loved God. Adam wouldn't have thought he needed Eve more than God if he'd loved God. They were very immature creatures. not bringing us back to Adam and Eve that God wants to do. Oh, no, he has a much higher place for us than that. Brothers and sisters with Jesus. Part of the God family. Joint heirs with Christ of all things. He doesn't want to even be our boss. Right here in the same chapter. No longer do I call you servants. For a servant doesn't even know what his master is doing. I've called you friends. For all things that I heard from my father I've made known to you. I don't want servants. You've been faithful over a few things. I'm going to make you ruler over many things. The Mormons say everybody gets his own planet. I think that's a great understatement. The universe is monstrous. Jesus needs ambassadors. Ellen White said the best preparation for eternity is preaching. What? Who needs preaching in eternity? All those other unfallen planets. Like Adam and Eve, they don't know the love of God, but we do. And we are living in it, and we're living by it, and we are immersed in Jesus, and He's in us, and He sees through us and speaks through us, but we also see and speak through Him. We hear everything He's thinking. We are united with Him. We're expressions of the divine mind sent throughout the universe to make sure this mess never happens again. He says, I don't want to be your boss. I don't want to be you. I don't want you to be me. I want us to be connected. I want the unity of the human with the divine. I don't want to be your boss. As soon as you overcome by my spirit and me living inside of you and doing it all for you, as soon as you overcome, I'm going to have you come up here and sit with me in my throne. Is that the truth? That's the truth. We've got to stop being afraid of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the love of God through Jesus Christ. And you know that if it's true that we can't do anything when we're disconnected, it is also true that we can do everything when we are connected. Hallelujah. Jesus is better than we thought. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the glorious vision we have from your word. 
of your desire to be connected with us, incomprehensible. But every time we even spend any time at all looking at your love, we find out that it is real. Thank you, Father, for giving us Jesus. He is all we need. We want so very much to live that life. In Jesus' name. This media was produced by Audioverse for Amen, Adventist Medical Evangelism Network. If you would like to learn more about Amen, please visit www.amensda.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.